0: Welcome to The Good Mouth. This is Krista, and it will be a solo episode this week. Uh, We do have some fun episodes coming up in the future. I don't like jinxing anything, so I'm going to stay mum on the topics, but the range is everything. Um, Hilariously funny, to philosophical and psychedelic. Super excited. Uh, But before this episode gets started, I wanted to talk about a very stereotypical encounter I had with my mother. But first, let's hear from our sponsor to get the commercial out of the way. And now, back to the show. So, I don't know what it is, but I feel like Asian moms are never happy. I posted a video on my timeline the other day. And I do like my little weekly, bi-weekly FaceTime call with my parents. And literally the first words out of her mouth are anak. Okay, so this means like child in like Tagalog or whatever. She also calls me pum, which I always thought was short for pumpkin, but it's not. It's actually short for pamayat. Not sure if I'm saying that right which means emaciated. So that's fucking cool. But anyways, she says, "Knock. why you look so tired? You've got bags under your eyes. And I took this so fucking personal, like knowing full well, I'm a mom to a toddler. I work full time. I'm divorced. So essentially I'm doing everything having to do with my daughter by my damn self. And I'm going to school for my PhD full time. Like, bitch, it's fucking probably fucking genetic. Okay. Yeah. So I never fucking said that. I'm scared of my mom. I just hung up on her and cried for two hours. But anyways, but speaking of my mom, someone actually messaged me about more Asian cleaning hacks. And these are my top faves. Um, after you vacuum, lice all your carpets. Um, and when you're mopping, boil water to use to mop. So your mop water should be boiling water. If that makes sense. Don't use hot water. You got to boil it and then transfer it to a bucket then add whatever cleaning solution. I like Fabuloso. Reasons why I do this. One, it dries way faster. And two, I just think it cleans better. Also, don't wear your shoes in your house. Take them off at the door. Variety of reasons why this is a good thing. Anyways. All right. So if you didn't know, March is Women's History Month. And I didn't even know this, but it wasn't even an official thing until 1987. Until then, um, organizations, and communities were just celebrating women's history on their own. So yay to grassroots organizers and nonprofits such as the National Women's History Alliance. They're the ones that noticed in 1980, only 3% of a school textbook. Um, The content of it highlighted women, 3% of a textbook. That's ridiculous. Ew to the patriarchy. Anyways, this year's theme is a continuation of last year's theme, which is about, um, quote, valiant women of the vote refusing to be silenced, unquote. Obviously, this theme recognizes women's suffrage. If you don't know, women's suffrage is the right to vote for women, which wasn't even a national law until 1920. So to put that even in perspective, it was also the same time the first radio station went live. That was essentially the birthing of American mass media. And the prohibition started right before women were given the right to vote. Um, Prohibition was the 18th Amendment and the women's voting rights was the 19th Amendment. Anyway, so that is still this year's theme. But I'm loving the refusing to be silenced part and decided to highlight some not very well known Badass women from history around the world. First stop, Japan, a place I consider home. I fucking love Japan. Um, the first person woman is her name. Well, actually, this may not be her name, but this is what she was known as: Tomoe Gozen. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Anyways, she was a 12th century female samurai whose favorite weapons were the long sword. I'm assuming the katana and a bow and arrow so she was known for her beauty physical strength and martial arts skills so not only was she a samurai she was also known as a very elite warrior in one of her battles she beheaded and collected the heads of seven samurai warriors and at this time head collections were like oscar trophies so if you beheaded someone that shit was fucking cool anyways She led a series of battles. I think one of them, she led over a thousand people um, of Lord Kiso no Yoshinaka's cavalry to victory. She also led 300 of Lord Kiso no Yoshinaka's forces into a battle against 6,000 opposing um, people and emerged as only one of five survivors. That's fucking wild. Um, But in this battle, when the Lord Yoshinaka's forces had dwindled down to five, he told her to quit the field, go the fuck on somewhere, like leave. But of course, she wasn't, didn't want to desert the battle and she didn't want to disobey him. So she made a compromise. She followed his orders, but not before engaging in one final battle to impress her lord and lover I didn't realize that that they were lovers. I need to research this more. Anyways, to demonstrate her loyalty and redeem her honor. Um, Ever the overachiever. I would say like most Asian people, I know I'm one of them, where I like to overachieve. Um, She rode it head on into a pack of 30 mounted warriors, picked the worthiest opponent among them. Um, He was a famed strongman, Onda no Hachiro. She promptly beheaded him. Like, duh. Anyways, so what happens to her after that? No one really knows. Um, There's lots of stories. Some say she was captured by the enemy. Some say she escaped and became a nun. But honestly, my favorite version is that when she avenged Lord Kiso Yoshinaka's death, she did so by killing his attackers, stealing back Yoshinaka's head so no one could defile it and then walked out into the sea head in hand to drown. So that's fucking wild. Now we're off to the Philippines, Neves Fernandez. Fast forward to 1940, um, Neves Fernandez. When the Japanese arrived in the Philippines in 1941, they took away all possessions of Filipinos. So no one was allowed to own businesses. No one was allowed to teach anything unless it was approved by the Imperial Japan um, and in Nevis's hometown of Tacloban, the Japanese forced business owners into submission by basically drenching them into in scalding hot water. Um, but Nevis Fernandez decided to take matters into her own hands. She actually became known as the silent killer. She would, she would dress in all black by herself and she would set up ambushes in the jungle armed with a makeshift shotgun which she made herself. She made it out of a gas pipe um, and her bolo. A bolo is essentially like a a machete. Anyways, for two and a half years, Fernandez carried out ambushes on her own. She would head into the jungle barefoot, wearing all black, taking out dozens of enemy troops by herself. Also, I want to note here that she was a teacher, like before she became this like silent killer assassin. Anyways, eventually her heroics inspired men of her community to join her. So instead of teaching school children, she was teaching and training men how to kill silently. So she led a, a she led a guerrilla army of over a hundred people um, under her command. They became so efficient and deadly that Americans were shocked that a woman led them. And in fact, she was actually the only female guerrilla commander in the Philippines during the World War II. Um, literally, she first only had three rifles. She taught her troops, her guerrilla army, how to improvise grenades and guns, making uh, making them out of pipes, nails, whatever, and stolen Japanese weapons. Um, the Japanese grew so. Worried about her and her guerrilla army, they put a bounty on her head. The bounty was only about 10,000 pesos, which is equivalent probably, I think, to like $200, 1940, $200. I think you could buy like three refrigerators or something like that. Anyways, um, but no one snitched on her. Duh, I wouldn't either. Anyways, they, um, her and her army um, liberated prisoners of war. They sabotaged supplies, Japanese supplies, and they conducted hundreds of raids on the Japanese Imperial Army in the Philippines. Um, That's fucking crazy. Toward the end of World War II and the arrival of Americans in 1944, Nevis and her guerrilla forces had liberated so many different villages um, from the Japanese and they freed dozens of comfort women um, she essentially retired after um, Americans, the Americans came in 1944. Um, but she's still allotted as like one of the most amazing uh, women in wartime history during that time. So now we're going to make our way to America and to the Apache Native American, Lozen. She's also known as the Apache Joan of Arc. I want to say, though, when I was researching different women, a lot of them equated them to Joan of Arc um, if they were from a different country or something like that. But anyways, I'll go into more of that later. Um, So Lozen God, I hope I'm saying this correctly. Um, She was a Native American warrior, um, a medicine woman, a skilled fighter, and a battlefield strategist. Her brother was a famous Apache chief and an ally to Geronimo. So even when she was little, she had these amazing abilities. Normally, like the women's role was like in the home, in the community, but she was literally more interested in battle and the art of war. Um, She became a very well known medicine woman and warrior among her people. And she actually fought alongside her brother and was like his right hand um, to protect their people from the US government um, coming on their lands. Anyway, um, she could ride a horse, she could shoot a gun, rifle, whatever. Um, It was also said that she was a type of prophet. She had almost a supernatural ability to predict where the enemy was going to be. And she would often pray to the Apache's um, highest deity for guidance. Um, Hence why she's compared, I guess, to Joan of Arc, because Joan of Arc was uh, supposedly had a divine guidance also. Anyways, so eventually she joined her brother in leading about 300 warriors, women and children back to their home in New Mexico. But of course, they weren't allowed because the American government army, you know, forced them back. But that was the last straw. And that led to a brutal, um, bloody Apache um, wars So after her brother died, Victorio, she wasn't around when he was killed. But after he died, she joined Geronimo's last stand for freedom. But in the end, she was deported with Geronimo to a prisoner camp in Florida. Um, No one really knows what happened to her then. Um, There's one photo I found of her by a railroad track um, that essentially led them to their exile. But um, nah, no one knows whatever happened to her. So some say she died in Alabama in the late 1800s. But who really knows? Like I was saying earlier, when I was researching women, a lot of them were were, were referred to as like the Joan of Arc of whatever country or whatever community. So of course, I need a deep dive into Joan of Arc history. Um, and I was trying to find things that I didn't already know. So um for the most part um yeah she was a national heroine of france she was originally a peasant girl um that was acting under divine guidance that led the french army to a victory um but and later on she did die but um she was canonized as a roman catholic saint like 500 years later anyways but i did find this out and i never knew this um while com while commander of the french army She actually didn't participate in active combat. It was almost as if she was kind of like a mascot, which I thought was crazy. So she never actually fought or killed any opponent. Um, But she was responsible for military strategies, directing troops, and proposing diplomatic solutions to the English. I'm going to let you know right now, no one liked that. All of her ideas were always rejected. Um, even though she was never really on the front line, she was wounded a couple times. Um, but she was fine, obviously. Anyways, she eventually got captured by her enemies and was tried in a, in the English stronghold of Rowan by a court. So they put 70, seven zero charges against her, ranging from sorcery to horse theft So, but, you know, a year later, those charges dwindled down to like maybe like 10 or 15, um, but mostly related to her wearing men's clothing and the claims that God directly contacted her. Um, They eventually offered her life imprisonment in exchange for an admission of guilt. So she signed a document confessing her alleged sins and promised to change her ways. But... Joan of Arc was illiterate, so I don't think she knew what she was signing her name on for that document. So who fucking knows? Um, But yeah, so after she signed this document, she actually put on back, put on the male clothing again and um, started telling the judges and guards that the voices had reappeared back in her, they were talking to her again. So then she was convicted and sent to burn at stake. One thing that I had no idea was that her, she actually also inspired the Bob haircut, which was originated in Paris in 1909. Um, a hairdresser out there cited that as like his inspiration, and then it caught on by the 1920s, in the 1920s, and was popularized by silent film stars and that whole flapper Era. And now we're going to head over to West Africa. Um, we are going to talk about the Dahomey Amazons, which were an all female military army. Um, they called themselves, don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Nanonmiton, which means our mothers. And I think that's beautiful. Um, so essentially, they were in charge of protecting their king on the battlefield. And in the palace grounds and the, their territories, they were essentially emerged as an elite fighting force in that kingdom. Um, they were described as untouchable and they were sworn in as virgins. Um, they were had to be celibate because essentially, since they were bodyguards of the king, they were kind of married to him, but they were celibate. Like nobody was, they weren't fucking anyone and the king wasn't fucking them. But um, their trademark in battles was decapitation. I don't know what it is with these women and beheading. Like, I think it's like almost like a poetic justice in a certain way. Anyways, so, but the women did enjoy certain privileges, even though they couldn't, you know, have sex. But they were, had always had a bunch of good stock of tobacco and alcohol. And they actually lived at the king's palace because men weren't allowed to do so. I think hence the... The bodyguards. So that's why the bodyguards, his bodyguards were women because men were more likely to kill him, I guess, suppose. I have no clue. Um. But when girls were recruited and given weapons at, at really, really young ages, I want to think, I want to say eight years old. And while some women in society did this voluntarily, fucking husbands would enroll their wives into this army. Um, if they felt they couldn't control them, so they became elite warriors. Um, but from the start, they were trained to be strong, fast, and fucking ruthless. Um, part of their training and exercise was jumping over walls covered with, um, like thorny bush bushels and branches. They were legit sent on a 10 day, like, Hunger Games style expedition. I put quotes on around Hunger Games. Um, in the jungle, without supplies, only a machete. So they became basically fanatical about war. Um, and to prove themselves, they essentially had to show that they were twice as tough as men. They were often seen as the last people standing in battle, unless they were ordered to retreat by their king. These women fought to the death, defeat was never an option. Um, Since they um, weren't allowed to marry or have children while serving as soldiers, um, they focused solely on being these elite or warriors. Um, There was never any record of a king breaking the celibacy vow. And if you were not the king, you wouldn't even want to touch, touching these women meant you were going to die. I think there was a... Um, something I read about when the French army came in, you know, they were trying to like woo these women or rape that uh, not woo or rape. They were raping them. Um, they actually ended up dead with their throats slit. But anyway, um, a British explorer named Richard Burton actually came to this area and he nicknamed the army, the bodyguards of the king as basically black Sparta, So if that gives you an idea of their strength and skill, you know, so they even also did insensitivity training. Essentially, I guess one of their tests was to kill a bound prisoner of war to their death somehow. I don't know, like throwing them off a cliff or throwing them into a water. I have no clue. Um, so that's fucking wild. The, um, a uh, crazy excerpt I read about, uh, witness reporting or whatever from the 1880s. Um, the French came to, uh, you know, I guess this is a French delegation visiting this, uh, country or this community, um, witnessed it in Amazon Spartan. No, what the fuck? The Dahomey Amazon girls looked like she was 16 years old, took three swings of a machete before beheading a prisoner, wipe the blood from her sword and swallow it. And then her fellow Amazon women screamed in approval, which um, I guess this was a customary in the region for warriors at their time. So it was customary for them to bring home their heads And the genitals of their opponents, which, of course, were always men. Um, They actually also had slaves as well. And those slaves were given um, bells. Um, So when they would walk out of the palace doors and into the community, I guess, literally the bell would be rang. The little girl, the little slave, enslaved girl in front of the Amazon, the Dahomey Amazon woman Um, the little girl would be carrying a bell, essentially sounding to every male to get out of the path and basically stand the fuck back and look the other way. And I want this bell. So that would be fucking cool. But anyway, by the 19th century, they had grown from 600 to 6,000 troops in that kingdom. And it wasn't until the second war that they were defeated. And it was the only reason why they were overthrown and defeated was because the French had to basically bring in machine guns to get rid of the um, bodyguards and this elite Amazonian Dahomey warrior fucking group. They had to bring machine guns. That was the only way that they could get rid of them. Um, wild. And if you ever seen Black Panther, these women were basically the inspiration for that royal special forces and the personal bodyguards of the king of um, in Wakanda. Black Panther, basically. And last but not least, Grace Sherwood. This sounds like a, a very American name, and it is she was actually convicted, the only convicted witch ever tried by water in the state of Virginia and lived to tell about it. She's also known as the Punga Witch. So if you live in Virginia Beach and if you've ever been on Witch Duck Road, that's basically where she was ducked into the water. So ducking is a test um, to see if you, if a person or a woman is a witch or not. Okay, but before I get into that, there's Let me give you some backstory. Okay, so Grace was the daughter of a farmer, and she also married a farmer, and they lived, of course, on a farm in Pungo. Pungo is essentially a rural area of the outskirts of Virginia Beach. Anyways, her neighbors were fucking haters. They were spreading rumors about her, that she was a witch, casting spell on livestock, casting spell on crops, um... Basically accusing her of witchcraft. Anyways, literally every single time they accused her, her and her husband would sue them back for defamation. (laughs) No lie. I fucking love this part. Anyways, they always ended up settling out of court or the courts never did anything, you know, yada, yada, yada. But um, they fucking basically hated her. I don't know why these people had it out for Grace and her husband. But I'm assuming it's because they were better business people and farmers than they were. So they were really just trying to blame someone. And there were, um, it was supposedly well known that she was a very outspoken woman in the community. I mean, she was wealthy. um, She was a businesswoman. She had a very good farm. So not a lot of people like that. So obviously they had it out for her. Um, The rumors never stopped even after her husband died. Um, so when that happened, when her husband died, she took over the farm. She never remarried or invited a male relative to take over. Um, I guess that was like, you know, back then you couldn't own shit because fucking patriarchy. Anyways, she inherited a large sum of money, um, land, which I looked up. It was approximately like 145 acres. And this was like in fucking 1700s, but anyways, And livestock. Anyways, um, she got into an argument with a neighbor's wife and they actually pressed charges of witchcraft against her again, saying that Grace had put a spell on her. Everyone was so sick of this. No one wanted to try the case. Um, Princess Anne courthouse didn't want to try it. The, the husband of the girl that assaulted her, um, they tried to go to williamsburg it was fucking wild no one wanted to no one gave a fucking shit about this goddamn case a series of hearings were eventually held and then i guess supposedly a witch test had to be done and grace actually agreed to this i think she was more nervous about what would happen if she didn't agree and she probably didn't want the court issues and hearings to keep going um because essentially princess anne courthouse if it's the same one I'm thinking of that's a long-ass horse ride or whatever the fuck it would be from Pungo because from Pungo to Virginia like where I live in Virginia Beach I feel like it's a fucking hour and a half drive anyways um so Grace agreed to the test so for the witch test I don't know why they did this but this is I read several different articles and they just say they tied her thumbs to her big toes like that's not going to keep anybody tied up Don't know why they did that. And before they threw her in um, the water, they tied a 13-pound Bible around her neck. First of all, I want to know what kind of paper they're using that this Bible is 13 fucking pounds. Because that is crazy. Anyways, so basically the test is, I'm pretty sure you guys all seen like witch movies or TV shows. So if you throw a witch in water, if they sink they are not a witch, but they most likely die. But anyway, if they float, they are. Well, it turns out she freed herself when she was thrown over into the water and swam to shore. So now, fucking, she's a goddamn witch. Everyone's gonna say it, not that she fucking escaped her tied-up thumb-toe restraints. But anyways, now she's a fucking witch. So... um. When they get when she gets to shore, there was like these town women that had to examine her body looking for witch's marks, you know, on her. Um, also, I want to say this was definitely rigged as one of the women who were part of the exam squad um, was She was sued by Grace's husband, like, way earlier when he was still alive, obviously. Anyways, they were looking for what is called demon suckling teats. So if you don't know what this is, essentially, if you are a witch, you have these, like, little nipples, not on your boobs, but, like, elsewhere. um, So that a, basically, your demon person, or not demon person, like, it's like a demon animal, like thing can like suck on it while it like tells you what to do I guess I don't know I saw it on that show Salem um on TV and of course anyways but of course they found something which I probably would think they were moles unless she was really a witch then they were demon suckling teats anyways also supposedly when she was thrown into the water a storm started And all this like crazy shit was happening. So now Grace Sherwood is now fucking convicted and labeled a witch for the rest of her life. Well, she didn't die, but she then was found guilty of being a witch. And she was in prison for almost eight years. Why she never tried to escape? No clue. So anyways, after she got out of jail, she actually just paid the back taxes on her property and moved back in. And this is the interesting part. She died at the age of 80. And this was during the 1700s. And I think this is actually pretty interesting because the average life expectancy during that time was like 36. She lived till 80. So who knows? Maybe she was a witch. Maybe she wasn't. Also, there's dispute about where her remains are. So local legends say she was either buried near near the bay by her home, under a tree by the fairy plantation house. Or um, when she did die, like, supposedly her sons put her near the fireplace and, like, a gust of wind took her up and all that was left was, like, hove, hoof, cliff mark, hove, what do you call those, hove mark, hoof marks from, like, I guess a goat, I don't know. Baphomet goat. Who knows? Anyways, but um, what remains of her home and property now are actually owned by the feds. They're part of the Back Bay National Wildlife Reg- Refuge. So you can't just go back there and check it out. So that's also interesting. Gives me total vibes. Um, What's that fucking movie? M. Night Shyamalan? The Village. Gives me those type of vibes. Um, anyways, um, actually though, in 2000, she was, she was, so she was essentially convicted as a witch, like in the history and in the documents of the court documents, she was convicted as a witch. But in 2006, the governor of Virginia officially pardoned her so that she wasn't a witch anymore. So, and that all happened here in Virginia Beach. So that's kind of dope. And this actually reminds me like the way that her, no one knows where her remains are kind of reminds me of... That for some reason I keep thinking about the Shakespeare's, Shakespeare's grave. So if you don't know, Shakespeare put a curse on his grave, on his tombstone. And it basically says if you move him from his spot, you'd be cursed for life. Um, also, by the way, that's something I would totally do just to like fuck with everyone. Um, but honestly, I think I want to be cremated or buried in that tree pod. Um, I feel like being cremated is a little cliche and everyone does it. Um, so definitely I I might be doing the tree pod. So if you don't know what that is, it's a biodegradable burial pod. So essentially as you break down, so does the coffin pod. And then I thought you grew into a tree, um, which would be oddly poetic. But when I looked into it, you don't turn into a tree. You get buried in your little egg pod and then they just put the tree, baby tree on top of you. So essentially you're just getting thrown in the earth, which is also, still oddly kind of poetic in a weird, morbid way. Um, But anyways, so that concludes today's lesson on badass women in history and them refusing to be silenced. Um, Until next week, and don't forget to follow, rate, and review The Good Milf on whatever streaming platform you use. And also follow me on Instagram, insta.krista, and The Good Milf. Holla!